we'll return to that text in just a moment. We're delighted that you're here. Don't get me wrong. It's always good to see everyone who makes the effort to come and be a part of a worship assembly here at the University Church. But uh, I know that there are people, particular people here this morning, whose being here represents an even greater sacrifice and a greater commitment. Uh, I preached a lesson some weeks ago where I, one of the illustrations was an older lady who had a, a grocery list of infirmities and all kinds of things wrong with her. And her reply, whenever she would be greeted by a, a fellow member of the church there, uh, how are you doing? She would say, I'm hurting, but I'm here. And I know that there are people here this morning who are hurting physically and who are hurting emotionally, but you're here nonetheless, and we're delighted that you have made that commitment to be here. And for those of you who are visiting with us, we're delighted that you're here too, and we hope that you'll hang around after services so that we might be able to beat and greet you. I, I, I can't help but remember me and I were visiting down on the Gulf Coast one time and uh, visiting with a congregation down there, and this fellow and his wife walked up to me, and apparently they were members of the congregation, and he said, you're visiting with us, and I want to know why. <laughs> and, she, and, and she said, "Hun, you might have said that a little better. <laughs> and uh, so anyway, I explained why I was there. Did the paperwork, and I left. <laughs> we're not going to interrogate you, but we want to let you know that we're delighted that you're here. I, I heard about a sign that was posted at a place of work, and the sign said, Due to the heavy workload around here, the light at the end of the tunnel has been turned off until further notice. You may have felt like that on occasions in your life. Have you ever felt like the light at the end of your tunnel has been turned off? And there's no illumination? And there is no road map, and you feel a little bit like that airline, airline pilot that we've talked about a number of times. You know, we, we've lost radar and radio contact. We have no idea where we're going, but we are making excellent time. You may be going faster in your life than ever before, but you feel like the light has been turned off, and you're not real sure where you're going. Some people feel that way about their work. Well, the fact is that so many of us come to places in our lives where we seem that, that traveling in the dark without any guidance whatsoever seems to be kind of the new norm. And so we wind up taking detours. We, we wind up taking back roads that we had never planned on taking and sometimes even running into dead ends. And we'll be talking about that a little bit later in this lesson. You may be in a place like that right now. And if you aren't, you have my personal guarantee you will be eventually. There's going to be, Jesus said in John 16, 13, there, uh, that, that the way of, of following him involves tribulation, trouble. In this world, you will have tribulation, was his assurance. But you remember the second half of the verse, but be of good cheer, I've overcome the world. Our lives seldom move from point to point in a straight line. We, we wind up taking all kinds of detours. It requires a course direction on our part on almost a daily basis. And, but I've got some good news for you. And that is, even if it seems like the light has gone out at the end of your tunnel, and you're, you're at this moment in your life crying out, God, where are you when I need you most, when I need your guidance? The good news is that the Bible assures us on virtually every page that God does, listen to me now, guide his people. God has promised to guide us through this life from the cradle to the grave. And he's told us that we, can, that we can know that with a certainty born of inspiration, that God is guiding us in our lives. The Bible says in Romans 8 verse 14, as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the ones who are the sons of God. As many as are led by the Spirit, 
of God. God is in the leading business, and it's our responsibility and our privilege then to follow in his leadership and in his guidance. So he faithfully leads us even when we find ourselves in unfamiliar and uncomfortable territory. Now, you may be saying, well, God may be leading me, but something is wrong. Maybe he doesn't know how to read a a map. I don't know how to follow him. Or there is the possibility that I am trying to live outside of the parameters of his will. If God is leading me, why do I keep getting off on detours and dead ends and end up at dry holes? And some of that we'll be talking about, Lord willing, tonight. I believe some insight concerning all of that is found, of course, in the word of God. So that's where I want to go. And I hope you brought your old Bible this morning because we're going to go back to Exodus chapter 13 and we're going to draw some conclusions and to to, uh, appeal to some lessons that are powerful and practical and it will help us whenever the light has been turned off at the end of our tunnel. We're going to learn what God does to, to actually lead us and that we are on the king's highway. We can know that with assurance. John, First John talks about that a number of times. And that it's a journey with joy. Jesus Christ is our constant companion. The Holy Spirit is our guide. The Bible is our road map. And so all of that tells us and assures us and affirms for us that we're going to wind up where God wants us to be. We will be at the ultimate destination that God has in mind. And yet we'll also see that many times in this journey... Things don't turn out exactly the way we expect. There are detours. There are dead ends. And there are dry holes. There are a lot of unexpected detours and seeming dead ends on life's journey. It's it's not because God has turned off his guiding light or that we have necessarily misread the map and so we're completely lost. He has... He has some important lessons for us to learn along the way. And that's the one lesson that I want us to look at very briefly this morning. Have you ever heard the expression... The key to real happiness is not just to enjoy the destination, but to enjoy the journey. And that's what I'm asking you to do this morning and tonight in these two lessons. You can, I think, learn a great deal from the way God guided ancient Israel to the promised land. So that's why we're looking at Exodus 13 primarily. The first discovery I want you to see concerning God's guiding light is the discipline of detours. And you may be thinking right now about some detour that you have recently taken in your own life. You intended to do this, you wound up doing that. You intended to go in this direction, you wound up going in a completely different direction. You had this plan in mind, and maybe that plan didn't work out at all. So you feel like right now you are on a temporary detour, and some of you feel like you are on a permanent detour. In Exodus 13, if you've got your Bible, take a quick look again at the two verses that Billy just read, 17 and 18. We read what happened after mighty Pharaoh of Egypt had had enough of God's plagues as administered by Moses and told Moses, I want you to take those Israelites and get out of here. It's, it's, he finally has relented, and I want you to leave Egypt. Look at the text one more time. And it came to pass when Pharaoh had let the people go, that God led them not through the way of the land of the Philistines, although that was near. There's your detour. For God said, lest peradventure the people repent when they see war, and they return to Egypt. But God led the people about through the way of the wilderness of the Red Sea, and the children of Israel went out of the land of Egypt equipped for battle. Now underscore the phrase, and at least in the King James, reads, God led the people about. That just means... That he was leading them in circles. 
or at least was leading them by a circuitous route that otherwise would not have been chosen by them. The Bible tells us very clearly that God did not lead the people of Israel by direct route, but he took them on a detour. And we, we need to make sure that we notice that. And it wasn't by mistake on his part. We need to appreciate that. And that's really the import of this lesson this morning. God had a purpose and a plan in mind when he said, I want you to go this way instead of that way. This was a divine detour with a definite purpose in mind. So what was it? Why, why did God lead the Israelites this way? Why didn't he just lead them from Egypt to the land of Canaan by the shortest and most direct route possible? Well, a straight line. Maybe the shortest distance between two points, but it's not always the best way to travel. And God has demonstrated that to his people a number of times in both testaments. God has a purpose in his, in, in his detours, and we're told his purpose in this instance. You see, God led the people on a detour because he knew that if they took the straight path, it would lead them into the land of the warlike Philistines. These were a warmongering people. Now, hundreds of years later, during the reign of King David, the Israelites would be up for a battle like that. And you know what happened when they clashed with the Philistines. But that's hundreds of years later. Right now, as a newly freed group of slaves, fresh out of Egyptian bondage, with tens of thousands of women and small children in their midst, these are not, and this is a grand understatement, these are not battle-ready people. And so going in through the land of the Philistines is not the thing to do, even though it would have been the more direct route. God knew that if the Israelites saw those Philistines, saw those warmongering warriors, that their hearts would melt with fear. They, they would turn on their heels and they would head right back to Egypt, dismayed, discouraged, and defeated before they'd ever even gotten start in this journey. So God did not lead them that way, the Bible says, because he knew they were not ready for battle. But make no mistake, there were going to be a lot of battles for Israel to fight in future days. In fact, the history of Israel pretty much is just one war after the other, one battle after another. And their time for war would come, just as God, watch this carefully, here's the application, just as God has called us to a holy war. Did you know that? You and I are engaged in a war right now in our lives. We're in a war against Satan and all those who work for Satan. We are in a war, a battle against this world. Here's how Paul said it in Ephesians 6 and verse 12, against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Paul is saying you need to put on the whole armor of God because, folks, we are in a war. And if you don't know that, then you're not going to be ready when the battle comes. So God knows what, what we're ready to face and what we're not ready to face, just as he had for Israel. He's not going to throw us into a battle that we're not ready for. He has a land of blessing and, a fulfill, and fulfillment for you, just like he did for ancient Israel. God has a job for you to do. And yet right now, you have to go out into the wilderness and, and you find yourselves, at least for a time, going round and round in circles. But rest assured, God has a plan. And it may even get you to wondering, and I mean seriously wondering, if you're living and traveling outside of his will, is this really where God wants me to be? 
Is this what God wants me to be doing with my life, at least right now at this juncture in my life? He even did this for his own precious son. I know that you've noted the fact that God allowed Jesus to have 30 years of training for a three-year ministry. So Jesus spent a lot of time in boot camp before he actually got out there doing what it was that he came to do. And maybe that's what he's doing for you and me as well. We need to understand and appreciate that. It may be that you're going around in circles, or at least you feel like you are, because there's a possibility you haven't read the map right, or maybe you haven't listened to your spiritual guide. Only you can determine that as you seek the Lord. I understand that. But I want to suggest that a detour may not, watch this church, may not be an indication of God's displeasure for you, but rather an indication of God's discipline. Did you get that? It may not be God's displeasure, but his discipline in your life. God may not be taking you, he may be taking you the long way at this time because he knows that you're not ready for some of the things in your life that he has in store for you. You're not ready yet, and we'll talk about why in just a moment. So that winding road that you're on may be the best indication that God is taking you somewhere very special. Now, it's not some place that you had planned to go, but it's some place that God has planned for you. That brings us to the necessity of God's boot camp. And I think that we'll see that that's exactly what the Israelites were going through. God led the Israelites on this detour instead of taking them on the straightest route because sometimes it is a, it's possible to arrive too early. The army used to have a term for young, fuzzy-cheeked officers who had been rushed through training and then rushed out onto the battlefield. They were called 90-day wonders. And let me say, I've known some 90-day wonders in other fields as well. They go up like a rocket and come down like a rock. You know the type I'm talking about. They're eager beavers. They want it all. They want it all right now. But I'm here to tell you that in God's plan, there are no fast and easy routes to the top of the spiritual mountain. If you want to get to your promised land, there is no easy way. There is no fast and easy way. Sometimes... It used to be a lot more prevalent 20, 30 years ago, but uh, especially when computers were catching on, you used to see books that were called Something for Dummies, you know, Cooking for Dummies, Computers for Dummies. And, but there, there isn't a book like that that will get us through our spiritual journey. There is no, nothing easy about it. And when we tell people that when they become children of God, that that is easy and everything is going to go your way and the children are always going to behave, you'll never have any financial difficulties and you'll always have good health, then, then we are doing them a tremendous disservice. We're lying to them, in fact, because God has not promised that his people are going to be exempt from any of the vicissitudes of life. And so that was a part of Moses' challenge with the Israelite people was to get them to understand, hey, this is going to be tough, folks. But, but in God's plan, again, there's no fast and easy route. You can't become a soldier in God's army without first undergoing the discipline of the boot camp. And that's why God led the Israelites using the Bible's words, I'm quoting now, through the way of the wilderness. Did you notice that description of their route there in Exodus 13, specifically verse 18? Look at it again. The wilderness was a place of hardness, a place of thirst, and rugged terrain. As Moses is looking back on their wilderness wandering in Deuteronomy chapter 8, he describes it in verse 15 like this. It's a place filled with scorpions and snakes and no water. 
Well, you know me, only one of those would have kept me from wanting to be there. But anyway, it was God's boot camp. It's what it was, a place of discipline where he led the Israelites to toughen them up so that they would be ready for the challenges ahead. And God was getting them ready for the conquest of the promised land. But when they left Egypt, just after they crossed the Red Sea, they were not ready yet. They needed some training. Now, there is no doubt in my mind that the people did not understand that at the time. I'm sure they were wondering what's going on and why were they heading out into a desert. And they didn't know that all the things that God had in store for them. But then, watch this carefully, they didn't have to know. It was enough. This is tough for me to say, folks, but it really is truth. It was enough that God knew. And that's what boot camp was all about. It was getting them to trust their leader. And I don't just mean Moses. I mean ultimately God. To know that God knew what he was doing. And sometimes that's where, that's the sticking point in our own spiritual challenge, isn't it? Is it, do I really believe that God knows what he's doing with my life? Do I really trust his guidance? Do I really trust that light and that, that pillar of cloud, that pillar of fire? Do I, do I really have confidence that God knows? And very likely the Israelites had never even heard of the Philistines at this point in Hebrew history. They didn't know what there was ahead of them. They didn't know when God said, no, I don't want you to go through Philistia where those warmongering people are. They had no idea what he was saving them from. It's kind of like parenting, isn't it? Don't parents on almost a daily basis make choices for their children that are in the best interest of their kids when those kids have no idea what it is their parents just saved them from? And we have to do that. And that's also one of the reasons why God is referred to in Scripture as our heavenly what? Our heavenly Father. Because he is a father who loves his people, his children, and he is going to always, we can mark it down and put it in our spiritual bank, he is always going to do what is in our best interest. He's going to do what's best for us. And what we have to do is come to trust him and to accept at face value that what God has promised to and for his people will come to pass. Maybe you've been asking God for a certain job. Or maybe for, and you still don't have it. Months have passed and you still don't have that job. Maybe you've been praying for a home. You think it would be nice to have a house to live in. Or seeking God about the person that you should marry. Or maybe whether you should even be married at all or not. But all of those things or any of those things may be things on your prayer list that you've been praying for. Maybe you want to go to school or maybe to get into a ministry. And yet it seems all you're doing is just going around and around in circles. Just like these Israelites. And if that any of that describes you at all, consider that you may not be ready yet for God's answer. I can't say because I don't know everything that's going on in your life and in your heart, obviously, but I can assure you of this. God is never in a hurry. And if six months have passed and your prayer has not been answered yet, or a year has passed and your prayer has not been answered yet, and you conclude that that means that God is not doing his work, that's not it at all. Because God is, is right now working the circumstances in your life to bring about your ultimate good. I know that because the Bible tells me so, Romans 8 and verse 28. Here's the th second thing he's doing. He's not only working on the circumstances, folks. He's working on you so that you'll be ready when the answer to his prayer 
finally comes. But I'm the one who has to break the news to you. God is never in a hurry. He does not work on our calendar system. A thousand years to God is as a day, and a day is a thousand years, Peter says, and so we have to, we have to understand that. Look at Moses. Here's the man who is, a, is the very head of Israel's exodus out of Egypt. And God sent Moses into the wilderness for 40 years. You know that if you've read the Old Testament. He, he sent Moses out for 40 years to get him ready to be the leader of the Israelites when it was time for them to escape from bondage, to liberate Israel. And God called the apostle Paul and said, I want you to be the ambassador to the Gentile people. But you know what God did before Paul began to do any of that? He sent him down to Arabia for a long period of solitude and study before turning Paul loose to turn the world upside down. See, Paul wasn't ready when he was first called, but God had to put him in a boot camp for a while to get him ready for the answer to our prayers and for his prayer. Too many of us are, I think, infected with the spirit of this microwave world that we live in, which tells us that unless we're out there doing something and achieving something every minute, that we're losing out. That simply is not true, folks. The record of God's word is that he often takes his people on detours to prepare them for usefulness. We're not ready yet. I'm not useful yet. Until God works on me for a while, until I go through the boot camp, but you say, I don't like boot camp, doesn't matter, you need it anyway. You need what God can do with you and for you in that place of training to get you ready for the promised land. Now once again I repeat, it is not important or not near as important that you know where God is taking you, but that you know that he knows. And, and, you, and you make the conscious decision and the daily commitment, I am going to follow him wherever he may lead me. We even sing songs like that, don't we? That we will follow wherever he leads. And I'm, I'm asking, is that, just, is that just a lyrical sentiment for us? Is that really a commitment of life? No matter where God leads me, I am willing, I am committed to following. I distinctly remember when I was a puppy preacher sitting in Bible classes along with other puppy preachers, one of my wise instructors told us one of the very worst things that could happen is for us to get a year, told us Bible majors at least, one of the worst things that could happen is for us to get a year of Bible teaching and training under our belts and think, I'm ready now. And they would jump on our white horse to go win the world for Christ. He said, when you are not ready, you need some seasoning. You need some more training. You need lots more learning. You've got to know what to do once you're on the battlefield before you ever go out there. The final thing I want us to notice this morning is how to find the light of his guidance. We come to, I think, is really the great part of all of this. God's guiding light by which he faithfully led those Israelite people he wanted them to know that he was with them, that he, his presence was with them every day, and that he had not forgotten them, that they were not alone, and that he was going to guide them both day and night. Watch this carefully. They may have been on a detour, but he wanted to communicate them just as clearly as possible that they were not out there in the wilderness alone. And the Bible says this. Look down in verses 21 and 22 of Exodus 13. And the Lord went out before them by day in a pillar of cloud to lead them along the way, and by night in a pillar of fire. For where I come from, folks, that's called far. 
But if you're reading the English Bible, that's pronounced fire, a cloud, a pillar of fire, to give them light, to go by day and night. He took not away the pillar of the cloud by day, nor the pillar of fire by night from before the people. That is, it was constantly, one or the other was before them 24-7. And that pillar of cloud by day and the fire by night speaks Not specifically, but I think in a general way of the same guiding hand with which God guides his people today. I'm here to announce to you, God has not left you alone in your wilderness. God has a cloud and a pillar of fire. Some, in some way, God is going to show you and guide you in the direction that you ought to go. Corey Ten Boom, that name may be familiar to some of you who read her books, and the atrocious experiences that she had, said in heaven, I love this, in heaven there is never any panic, only plans. Isn't that great? Because that really is reflected, I believe, in the account that we're talking about this morning. The important thing is that day by day, even moment by moment, that we walk in the guidance of that pillar of cloud and that pillar of fire. The New Testament calls that in Galatians 5.16, walking in the Spirit. Walking according to God's guidance has been revealed to us by the Holy Spirit through the instruction of his word. And as I said earlier, it's altogether possible to be going around in circles because you're out of God's will. So if that is the case, then you need to identify the problem and correct that and get back in his will. But you may also be in the very center of his will. You may be doing what God wants you to be doing at this moment in your life and you still feel as if you're lost on the detour in your Christian walk. But God, God knows exactly what he's doing with you. Let me say that again. God knows exactly what he's doing with you. And so your main job and my main job is just to keep our eyes on the Lord Jesus Christ, to seek his will in every aspect, in every nook and cranny of our lives. And to make sure that we have familiarized ourselves enough with God's will so that we'll know it when we see it. So that when it comes time to get off of that detour, get back on the main road again, we'll actually know where it is that God is leading us because we, we familiar, familiarized ourselves with his roadmap. Remember Jesus said to his earliest disciples, come and follow me. We talked about that last Sunday morning and I suggested that he is still saying that to people today. Are you willing to come? And follow him. And you can obey the Lord's commands and you can submit to his guidance with confidence because he sees things that you and I cannot see. He knows the Philistines are out there. And so he's going to guide you around the land of the Philistines. He knows the weaknesses that you have in your life that yet need to be turned into strengths. Just keep your eyes on him and remember that God led Israel into the wilderness for a divine purpose. And that's really all that you and I need to know when we're undergoing the discipline of a detour. By the way, one ancillary thought here. Another word for submitting to God's guidance in our lives is the word obedience. Vance Havner has pointed out that in the Great Commission in Matthew 28, 19, and 20, Jesus instructed his disciples to go make disciples of every nation, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And what he does not say is teaching them all things that I have commanded you. 
Habner points out that the actual wording is teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. It's one thing to intellectually, cognitively teach someone what God wants them to do. It's another thing for us to then observe it. In fact, some versions read that way. It teaches them to obey all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And I'm asking you, is that where you are in your life right now? You're not yet a Christian. But you know the Bible teaches that your faith needs to prompt your repentance. And then your repentance will prompt your confession of Jesus as God's son. And all of that will move you to have your sins washed away in the waters of baptism. To have his blood cover your sin so that his righteousness becomes your righteousness. But God knows where he's going. And he knows where he's leading you. Are you willing to accept his call and follow in his footsteps while we stand, while we sing?